The best insight, instant feedback, accountability. The all-new Talk Radio Freedom 106.5. This morning, and welcome our special guest. As we speak about Calypso History Month, Calypso Past, Present, and Future. Let's welcome to our program. Resume says a music sociologist, author, educator, researcher, journalist. Let's say hi and good morning to Megan Sylvester. Good morning to you. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Are you hearing me? Yes, we're hearing you loud yeah. and clear. Oh, good. It's nice Thank to, you for having me on the program. Nice to have you with us here this morning. As, as I do with some of our guests, um, I allow them the opportunity to familiarize the listener with just who you are and some of the things that you're involved in so that they can have a greater respect and appreciation for your perspective. Tell us about yourself. Okay, so thank you. Um, so my name, as you indicated, is Megan Sylvester. And as my CV uh, bio indicates, I am a music sociologist. And what that means is that formally, I have been trained as a sociologist to really look at society and speak to what the society is saying to us about ourselves as we live in this society. And it becomes important to understand that. I've added on music to that, looking specifically at Calypso music and soca music, indigenous music, so Trinidad and Tobago, and looking to see specifically the lyrics of Calypso and soca to see what people are writing about and what is it saying about who we are as a people. It's pretty interesting. Um, let me let me let me go out of the box by, by starting the interview, because normally on in an interview like this we'd go back to the history and where Calypso started and all those things. Of course. Yeah, but we'll, we'll get to that in a bit. Let me play devil's advocate here this morning um, as we get our discussion going and probably to pique some of the interest of our listeners in getting involved as well. I'll make a statement and I want you to tell me whether I'm right, I'm wrong, or, or, or I'm being unfair what's going on. Calypso today can be described as divisive, offensive, racist, living on past glory, unsustainable because there's not a Calypso tent in the country that can't survive on its own without state subvention. Patronage has gone to an almost nil in some. And Calypso, in its present incarnation, makes no positive impact to society today. Okay. What would you say to that? Uh, thank you, Satish. That, that is a very interesting collection of words that were used there to describe Calypso. Um, right off the bat, I would say that I am not necessarily in agreement with all of the points that were made. Um, one of the things I want to say about Calypso, um, because I, I, and, and full disclosure, I would have been involved in, in, in Tuco prior to this. So I, I, I recently um, not you know, left the board um, simply because, you know, my time had come to an end. But it is important to understand that Calypso lyrics specifically, when we look at certain Calypsonians who make the effort to uh, speak about national importance, to speak about uh, economic issues that are plaguing the country, social issues, and even those to a certain extent who deal with humor that is very tasteful, really are expressing the realities on the ground of who we are as Trinidadians and Tobagonians. So while I don't agree fully with these statements that you made earlier, I would say that there is, you know, there's Calypsoans that really do a good job of really speaking to who we are. On the flip side, just to have balance, I would definitely say that there are Calypsoans and perhaps Calypso performers, Calypsoans who use the art form to speak out against um, uh, different groups in society, etc. And that is actually the norm 
when we think about what music does, there are going to be persons who are supporters, there are going to be persons who are uh, detractors. And so, again, the art form itself, as expressed within Trinidad and Tobago, Gomez, is expressing who we are as a people. Oh, you mentioned something about tents, and it is interesting that you mentioned that. Um, the issue with tents, there are some tents that are community tents, there are tents that are... Um, you know, as you say, they receive a subvention from the government. And this is something that was government designed together with Tuco and Pantron Bago and uh, the TCBA, which is the Trinidad Tobago Carnival Bands Association. Uh, they are part of uh, three interest groups that were created by the government. So mm -hmm. that by dint of that, that is why they received this subvention. Yeah. You know, it's um, the words, the descriptive words that I used this morning are, are not my own. Those are words that we've heard on this program and on other places for quite some time. And there is evidence to support some of it. As you said, it's, it's, it's striking a balance. As in any industry, you'd have good and bad. Um, the chutney industry is, is another classic example of, um, of, of where you have um, e extremes on both sides of the spectrum when it comes to what people do and, and how they portray the art form and everything else. Calypso is no different. Soca is no different either. And we could go down the road in almost every genre of music to find the good and bad. But we have some, um, some issues that probably we have not confronted for a long period of time. Calypso is the birthplace of many other genres of music. Mm -hmm. um, and you have persons who started off in Calypso um, who have blazed a trail that is unblemished when it comes to them being somebody that you can look up to or, or, or still want to listen to today because that happens to me and i started off as a dj i find myself sometimes going back to some calypsos from way back when i when in my television days i used to cover dimash every single year so oh. i would understand the variances and yes there are some people who could be as nasty as as can be and then there are others whose whose presentations were, were really um, deserving of an encore applause. Um, so let's do a bit of introspection. Let's go back to the glory days. Where did Calypso start? How did it come about? Right. And so it is important to think about that. Strictly speaking, when we think about uh, the early stirrings of Calypso, it's coming from uh, the plantation. It's coming from that slavery experience. It's coming from slaves uh, making a decision to... Um, have some sort of alternative approach to life on the plantation. And so you would have had uh, the, the, the versioning of what we know as political calypsos now would have been slaves getting together and speaking out against the atrocities of, of, of the slavery experience, against the slave master, against the overseer, and the, the actual experience. Then you would have had social commentary, again, speaking to life on the plantation, all right, and the daily moorings of what would have been happening there. Then you also have uh, uh, humor um, in terms of poking fun the slave masters and the reality on the plantation. And we see these just three. I'm just using three examples because, of course, these are not all the examples um, of calypsos. And, and what we see happening is that we see evidence of that. Today, where we have a humor uh, category, we may have a political cap category or nation-building category, and we have social commentary as well. And so when we think about the early stirrings, that's what we can point to. But the first known recording of Calypso would have been in 1912 by Loving Bad, and it was really just an instrumental 
So when we think about the lyrics that would have been coming from the slaves on the plantation, um, most of the time it would have been in Patwa, broken um, uh, English, broken French, in terms of wherever they would have been and who would have been their colonial masters. We see that. But in terms of the first recording, we see it was an instrumental. And we see over the years there's been a shift in terms of the language that has been used to express Calypso as well as the, 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 the growth of Calypso. Because, of course, we know that it is not only, even though it would have been started within that slavery experience, wherever we have seen the, the, the existence of plantations, we see evidence of Calypso. Mm. So we see Calypso across the diaspora. We see it in the Caribbean and other Caribbean islands. They have Calypso competitions just like we do in Trinidad. But one of the points that is important to note is that Calypso as an art form came to its fullest fruition in Trinidad and Tobago because of migratory movements of people coming to Trinidad and Tobago, mm. all right, um, to settle. And so we see evidence of that. So when we talk about the contribution of Grenadians to Calypso and Vincent and the Grenadines and some of the other islands, we recognize Antigua and Barbuda, St. Kitts and Nevis. We see it because of those migratory movements. And so when we think about what Calypso is, that's where we realize it's this sentiment and this growth of Caribbean music. Yeah? Yeah, well, in in, in the in the days gone by, and probably today as well, we, we, we had persons in the calypso arena who were lyrical masters they could bring across the most crudest of points in a way that was deemed to be acceptable well you, you get the message you know exactly what it is they want to say but it was mm -hmm. tastefully done Indeed. Uh, um, um, I, I, i'm choosing my words carefully here it was tastefully done to the point where um while the message came across and the message was as powerful as it needed to be it was not necessarily as offensive as some of the offerings we've seen or that we continue to see in some instances. Mm -hmm. Do you think Calypso, its glory days are over? Hmm. That's an interesting question. So I want to, to answer that particular question. I want to get back to a point you made about Calypso and a lot of other musical genres mm -hmm. emanating or being uh, you know, spawned from it. We see that is, people within the Calypso fraternity, scholars of Calypso music, that Calypso is mother music. So you're quite right, Satish, in terms of explaining it in that way. Um, and we see so many derivatives just in Trinidad and Tobago alone. If we think about um, soca music, yeah, that's another branch of that Calypso tree. And then we see all of the further hybrid um, genres that would have emerged. We talk about Chutney Soka, we talk about Raga Soka, we talk about Groovy Soka. We, there was a category when we had Soka Monarch in terms of our Soka. Um, we talk about Harang Soka. So we see evidence of, of, of mushrooming. Um, in terms of getting back to your specific question about the glory days, I think that what we are seeing is a change, a shift, um, you know, a morphing of the art form into a different space and time. And as we mentioned earlier, in terms of music itself, this is something that happens. So when we think about Calypso tents, you mentioned the Calypso tents earlier on and subventions, etc. And we think about the numbers, the large audiences that would have been attending Calypso uh, tents in the past. And then we look at the audience sizes today. We can definitely see that there's been a change. But what that might mean is simply that who is the population that's listening or enjoying Calypso? They might have um, been dying out or they might have changed or shifted. And so that uh, public space where everybody gathers to hear this Calypso uh, chant well or this Calypso bard, that 
kind of formula may have changed. And people may now be, because we are more, you know, cyber-friendly, uh, people may now be uh, absorbing this culture online. And so when we think about what happened during COVID-19, during the days of the pandemic, one of the things that was noted is that we still needed to have people be involved in national culture. And one of the radio stations that would have done this, I'm just mentioning this, would have been a WAC. And what they did is that they had people come literally to their station, do the performance, which would have been recorded live, and the audiences during the pandemic were able to absorb and enjoy the Calypso art form. And then they spread it out to other, you know, soca performers, etc. And so we saw that that was a very successful um, uh, attempt at getting Calypso to the masses in a different way. And so when we look at an example of that, we say, okay, maybe pay-per-view, maybe a different type of approach to getting the population uh, involved in listening to Calypso and soca music may be the way forward. Pretty interesting discussions, really, um, because normally when we have discussions about Calypso and Calypso History Month and that kind of thing, we, we, we don't necessarily see those discussions going as deep as we've gone um, and trying to pick apart um, where we were, where we came from, where we are, and probably where we're going. Um, we need to take a couple of quick messages, though. For those of you who are now joining our discussion here this morning, we're talking about Calypso History Month, Calypso itself, past, present, future... Our special guest, music sociologist, author, educator, researcher, journalist, Megan Sylvester. We'll take some of your calls when we get back as well. Stay with us. The best insight, instant feedback, accountability. The all-new Talk Radio Freedom 106.5. Welcome back. Our discussion this morning, Calypso History Month, Calypso Past, Present and Future, picking apart some of the issues related to Calypso, the art form, where it's been, where it is, where it's going, our special guest this morning, music sociologist, author, educator, researcher, journalist, Megan Sylvester. If you'd like to join the conversation, feel free to do so via sending a message to 3061065 or calling us on 627-3223 or 625-2257. We've given people a lot of the history as to exactly where Calypso came from, some of the challenges, some of the nuances that we see in some performances, some renditions today. Um, as somebody who, who's been, well, I think we have a call. Let's take this call before we get back into this point. Hello, good morning. Good morning, uh, calling from Pinal. You know, Calypso would have evolved, uh, well, the Trinidad part of it, because the word came out from elsewhere, whatever it meant, uh, would have evolved uh, at a particular time, and it filled a need, and then it blossomed. And it, to me, it is in decline now. It has morphed in various ways, becoming more musical and uh, less uh, social, um, looking for less social impact and that kind of thing. Um, uh, and therefore, in my mind, it, it has lessened in importance and significance. It's it no longer bringing the news, recording history, guiding the thoughts of people and that kind of thing, which was important at one time. Um, so, you know, what is the, the real push to keep it alive when things that have been superseded are normally allowed to die? What's the importance of that? Thank you. Thank you for your call. Alrighty. Um, and as we know, it actually gets to this 
particular point that people make, and a lot of people ask it in Trinidad and all over the world, actually, is Calypso dying. And one of the immediate responses to that is that, no, it is not dying. Why is that? Because every year there is a junior Calypso competition that takes place which is allowing for this progression of young people. Um, we're talking about students in primary school, students in secondary school, being guided by their teachers and other people within the art form to, uh, to perform. Some songs are written by some of these young people and they, or they sing songs that have been written for them and they participate in this competition. When we talk about something dying or in decline, generally we don't, we don't talk about newness taking place. And we're talking about a competition that takes place every single year. So that is one of the ways in which we see the young people continuing with this particular trajectory um, to ensure that Calypso music is staying alive. Mm. Then we have the adult competition, which takes place every year, where we have, you know, from the tents, various tents, or you may have the bullpen and people coming and and. and you know, offering themselves for competition. They then get to the uh, semifinals where we have Calypso Fiesta, and then you have that final competition in the Marsh Grand. Now, that is actually different to other types of musical genres across the world, where they don't usually have annual competitions. Mm. Yeah, if we think about uh, R&B music and hip-hop music and rap music, what they have actually is an artist putting out an album, and the album may have life for, let's say, two to three years. Uh, they may wish to get you know, the competition in terms of Grammys, etc. And what happens is that there isn't an annual competition to keep it going. It's actually being sustained by um, uh, fan base, etc., and industry. So when we think about what Calypso is actually doing, we see that every year, at least in the space of Trinidad and Tobago, that there's, there are these annual competitions which say there is continuity. When we talk now about the content, that is where we can speak, as we were speaking earlier, about you know raising the level of the content, making sure that it's speaking about national good, etc., mm -hmm. and being that voice, as your caller just mentioned, about what is happening in the society. Well, yeah? it, it, it's, it's an interesting point that you're raising about these junior competitions, but is there evidence to support the position that these junior competitions churn out the future Calypsonians or the future artists? Because uh, other than Aaron Duncan, uh, who else do we know that came out of the, the, these competitions and has forged their own place on the, on the musical landscape, even though Aaron Duncan has now gone soca uh, much mm -hmm. more than Calypso? And right. um, uh, uh, Go ahead. Yeah, we, ca we can't talk about names. So I'm just, as I mentioned earlier, I would have been previously on the board of Tuco. And I right. want to give an example of three present members of, of the Tuco board who would have been part of the Junior Calypso competitions. And you can talk about, and they actually would have been successful. Right. We talk about Devon Seal, uh -huh. who would have been a winner. Um, we talk about Kareen Ashe, and you talk about Rondell Donovan. And when you talk about the fact that these people started in juniors, and there's so many other names that could be mentioned, mm -hmm. just using three as an example, and they've they've gone on now to, you know, they've won their competitions, uh, been successful, uh, been monarchs, and then in terms of Devon Seal in particular and Kareen Ashe, and then you have now this contribution that they are making um, on the board of Tupo. So we are seeing examples of growth, and then they still continue to perform and compete every year. Yeah, I so was, you see what we're saying? Yeah, yeah okay. I, I, I do. And I, I pose the question to foster the discussion and, and just to carry around the point because I was actually at Dimash Grau when Karin Ashe won. Um, right. I, was, I was covering it for CNC3 and I remember that um, she was being coached and guided by um, Singing Sandra at the mm -hmm. point and Singing Sandra was a mentor right. to her. Yes. And, and, that, and that was a big deal. 
um, back then. And I remember Corrine coming on stage. I think she was shocked that she won from from the response that we got from her um, in, uh-huh. in covering and everything else. Um, it's not all bad. It isn't. Indeed. Because Indeed. there are some classics that, you know, I play often. I, I, I like the, the genre and some of the good music. Uh, singing Sandra has voices from the ghetto. That is such a powerful song that has uh-huh. transcended all of these things and carries a message that's going to live on for a very long period of time. And we have a number of these, a number of uh-huh. those um, presentations. But the, the, the lyrical content that we're seeing today, um, does it engender this confidence that the quality is going to remain? Or, or, or what do we need to do if there is a problem when it comes to lyrical content? Mm-hmm. Um, a, a really good question as well. And I, and I want to point again to the young people. Um, we are making the point, of course, that the, the older generation have set the tone and they have done the work and they have passed the baton onto the younger generation. And then let's start to look at who have been some of the most recent uh, Calypso monarchs. We would have had Ronaldo London. He was 21, I believe, at the time when he won. We had Helon Francis, who would have been 24 at the time. And then we recently had um, Dwayne O'Connor's son, a former monarch, um, Tazaya O'Connor, who is currently the monarch um, of the Calypso competition that we have annually. And so when we think about the content of the songs, the lyrics of the songs that each one of these three uh, um, uh, young youngsters have produced or have, have sung, we realize that there is that uh, definition of good Calypso. The lyrics are sound, it's speaking about nation building, it's not negative, it's not something that is sensational or speaking out against any particular group in the society. Mm. And then this adds to the whole point about where do we see Calypso today? And we see that it's young people like that in their 20s. And so that's saying something about that Gen Z generation and their perception, whether they are being guided by uh, adults, whether they are being coached by a particular group of people, the fact is that they are coming to the competition yeah, I have some, being successful. Yeah, yeah, I have some pretty interesting questions because I just find this discussion is one that we really need to have on this level. Um, frank discussions about what's going on. Let's take another call. Hello, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, guys. Can you hear me, Sudesh? Yes, we're hearing you. Go ahead. Yeah, um, the thing is, I, I, I kind of agree with you guys. Uh, and the teacher will see that it's really absurd. If you take away state sponsored competitions like the competition and like speaking about the unsustainability that I had raised when we began the discussion um, and and 
he believing that because of the quality of the contributions and uh, well, you heard the discussion that he had. No, but, but, yes, no, I actually was not hearing him clearly. I don't know. I was wondering if you were hearing okay, clearly. Okay, the, 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 you are, yeah, the, breaking it down now. The, the point that he was making is that Calypso, in his mind, is unsustainable and okay. cannot survive without state subventions simply because nobody cares for what the offerings are at this point in time. Um, and he himself, while he likes a good Calypso, and um, I'm paraphrasing what he had to say, and, um, um, that he would have gone to the tents and so on, he does not feel as if that is something he can do anymore. And mm -hmm. it's, it's an interesting position because race and politics have factored clearly in, in, in contributions that have seen to no end um, and in no small part a decline in support for Calypsonians and the various tents. We are at a situation now where we've had tent owners saying that in order for them to remain open, they need government subventions. And we had a drop in subvention that caused a whole big bacchanal and everything else. Uh, but many people are of the opinion, let me not say many, some people are of the opinion, and, I, and I'm going to be as frank as I can. Um, this is not about being insulting or, or trying to drive race into the discussion, but it's, it's a fact. When we speak on this issue, people say that it's the majority of Indian people who do feel in, in, in invited or, or welcomed at some of these events. But how do you justify then? If you're saying, well, race is the reason and politics is the reason, why are other people who are not Indian or whatever else not going, to, why are they not going to the tents? Okay. And that, and that is a fair question, because if we look at the history in terms of Calypso, we will see that initially, um, when we talk about the, the naval base uh, in, in Chagaramas, and we talk about how, you know, uh, members of the population really started to imbibe Calypso, when we talk about, uh, you know, what was really happening. I mean, Swaro spoke about it, you know, Jean and Diner, you know, and, at the naval base and et cetera, and the fact that they were singing and, and, and whatnot, um, at the Calypsonian singing for that particular audience at first. So this whole question is really about who is the Calypso audience and what are we trying to do to engage them? Yes. Um, and we understand, of course, that there would have been a time when there would have been more persons of East Indian extract who would have been going to the tents. And of course, we acknowledge, if we are honest, that there would have been a turn, a turning of the tide when certain Calypsonians would have begun to sing out against a particular East Indians, yeah, um, and would have been uh, singing derogatory lyrics about the East Indian community. And in acknowledging that, we note, of course, that people make a decision to support or not support based on how they feel about when they go to engage in entertainment. Correct. One of the things that has definitely happened is that if we look at Calypso, generally speaking, um, we have mentioned, I mentioned it, you mentioned it, your callers mentioned it, a decrease in the attendance at Calypso tents, and I dare say at Calypso events. What we want to do is perhaps um, reclaim or reignite that sort of passion for Calypso by inviting people back into the space. Also, in terms of the types of Calypsos that are allowed, if we talk about competition, if we talk about um, the role of the judges and what they are accepting, I think there needs to be some sort of decision at that level as well to ensure that there's a, a cleanliness, for want of a better word, to the lyrics so that it doesn't offend. Because Calypso music is not supposed to be an offensive uh, genre. Yeah? 
it's supposed to be all encompassing. It's supposed to be inviting people to understand more about their society and their community because we always say by Calypso, our stories are told. Mm -hmm. And our stories shouldn't be about negativity. So that's one of the ways in which I think um, the, the, the more audiences can be re-invited or reignited to imbibe Calypso. But one of the things that becomes important as you continue to mention this issue of subvention, it becomes important to understand that this was a government initiative to have three interest groups in terms of Panton Bigo, as I said, TTCBA and TUCO. So that when they when the Calypso Tent owners, for example, speak about running the Calypso Tent and making sure that they get a subvention, it is because this was an act of parliament and it becomes important for people to know that. Sometimes people think that, you know, Calypso Tent owners are going cap in hand and say, give us some money. No, it is part of the way in which um, these three interest groups were set up. Mm. All right. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there cannot be a marketing strategy established or created by some of those uh, Calypso tents to generate their own money, yeah? yeah, to run Calypso tents. So that is also another part. You know, I always like to have balance in looking at the industry because I think it becomes important to, to really look at it and say, okay, we're getting a subvention, but we want to do more. So why not create an opportunity for business element, an entrepreneurial uh, concept? Uh, going forward for the Calypso test. We need to head to the news, a couple of messages to take us up. But when we get back, let's let's focus our discussion on Calypso History Month and what could or, sh or should be done during this month to foster this resurgence that you're talking about. For those of you now joining us, our special guest here this morning, none other than music, sociologist, author, educator, researcher, and journalist. That, of course, is Megan Sylvester. The best insight, instant feedback, accountability. The all-new Talk Radio Freedom 106.5. This is the Morning Rumble with Satish Mahabir. Three and a half minutes after eight. To the final hour of our show here this morning, we're discussing Calypso History Month, Calypso Past, Present and Future with our special guest, music sociologist, author, educator, researcher, journalist, Megan Sylvester. Let's take one or two of your calls before we get back into our discussion. Hello, good morning. Good morning, Satish, and good morning to your extra special guest, Ms. Sylvester. Ms. Sylvester, I'm of the view that a society that does not value the philosophy of its poets is a society that is doomed. When a poet decides to put forward his work and he decides to use the love way that he knows, which is the truth, and he put it into words that is palatable to the population to listen to, I do not know where the objection arrives. If there's an objection, then we must say that we are not a society that values truth. At the end of the day, I would put no compromise on any Calypsonian in singing his lyrics. If he sings lyrics that are out of the way, then the court will deal with him and that. But if he has something to say, allow your poet to express himself unrestrained, unbridled. Those who believe that he does it because he has a particular state or a particular ethnic group should go around and they should see. Because just recently I remember a particular chutney singer, had something to say about the math mathematical ability of Dr. Rowley's mother. And that scored a lot of things all over the place. 
I don't think anybody said that he had a particular bias towards a particular race when he said that. So at the end of the day, allow Calypsonians to sing their song. Somebody said that it isn't viable. What does viability have to do with a poet's work? If you want his work, you take it. If you don't, you leave it. The poet, however, may very well find someone who can market it and package it in a particular way so that he can have an earning from it. Whether we are going to go into cyberspace, whether we're going to go to social media, all these different things, whether we're going to find niches globally that will accept his work. So I say that the poet's work should be unbridled and there should be no compromise. I listen to your comments. Okay, so thank you so very much for that for that interesting um, unpacking of uh, the Calypso Bard and his lyrics. Um, from where I sit, I want to reference the ILO um, in terms of, this is the International Labour Organization that speaks about the whole issue about decency and decent work. And I think it becomes important if we translate that or use this as an example to speak about the Calypsonian because he is and she is a worker. And there must be some level of decency. You spoke about this unbridled approach to singing lyrics, and people ought not to be offended. But the issue really is we don't want to use a musical art form that is going to offend. If we're trying to, I spoke about the whole issue of the entrepreneurial spirit. I spoke about the issue of speaking about national um, issues. You don't want to reduce the Calypso art form mm. and the lyrics being produced by Calypsonians to being an offensive genre. Because then that means, for sure, we were speaking about death before, the death of Calypso, then it will die. Because if you have stakeholders, members of the public, those are the stakeholders, who need to come to your Calypso tent or to your Calypso shows, people do not want to leave their homes to come to be offended. And so we need to also think about that. Then, mentioning again this whole issue of decent work we must have a level of decency meaning we must be able to be crafty in the way in which we speak about issues that are the truth about our society but we must also make sure that we do not take jabs at people to mm. attack people's sensibilities and so that would really be my comment about that particular approach to calypso lyrics in Trinidad today you know often Earlier this year, when this series started, which was oh, in January, I think it was, just before Carnival, uh, we began this series, and, and over the course of the, the, the various installations, I think I've spoken to people from almost every element of our entertainment industry, including those who are involved in Calypso and Soka and all of these things. Uh, some of the big names, some of the producers, the performers, we had on the show. But there was a, a common thread, a common concern that many of them had. And that was whether or not the quality of the contributions coming out today was a plus or a minus for the art form and for the industry. And one of the things that, well, I put to them, because I, I think it's, it's, it's important, is whether or not the market forces or what people believe the driving market forces want dictate what they do. You have, and, and, and I, I reference the, the chutney industry, as a classic example of this, um, there are very few contributions from Chutney singers that can be seen as um, wholesome and, and, and nation-building. Let me use that term. Most of what you hear 
uh, copycats coming out of India where they use the melody, sometimes they use the words. And there are sometimes when, even if we have local contributions, it's about rum, horn, and somebody doing something that's not supposed to be doing. But that is what sells. And the, the smuttier the song, the more popular the artist, and the more gigs they get, which is in essence what they're doing this for, because they're looking to make money at the end of the day. So is, is, is it a situation as well in the Calypso fraternity where some people believe that, well, I have to go down this road, and, and I have to do this because that's what the people want. And when I go to Calypso Fiesta, if, if I don't sing something against this one or that one or the next one, I wouldn't make it, or the judges wouldn't take me and that kind of thing. Do you believe there's any truth to that? Well, that's interesting. Um, I think that there's certain, you know, uh, in all things, you're going to have people who think like that. And I just want to uh, touch a little bit on the what you mentioned with regards to chutney um, and the chutney soca industry. You mentioned the themes of horn and, and rum. And just to get back to what the caller before was speaking about, that is actually what um, is expressed about um, members, some members of the East Indian population, but also they are members of other populations, Africans, um, uh, Asians in terms of Chinese, etc., who also imbibe a lot of alcohol um, at carnival time or throughout the year. And so there are also songs that speak about that. Um, you would have had songs, you know, in terms like Budgie Garland and Mashi Montano speak, speaking about rum, speaking about the con consumption of alcohol. And I think it's possibly the way in which it is, it is done right, the tastefulness of the lyrics, all right? But to get back to the truth of the matter, you do have a situation where there are members of the East Indian population who have, you know, um, in terms of issues dealing with horn, issues dealing with rum, issues dealing with, with, with uh, domestic violence. These are things that are plaguing our society. If the uh, singers of Chutney Soka decide that they want to sing that within a song, it's about the craftiness. Whether they are making a concerted effort to only sing about that, or to focus on that more than anything else. That is where we have to understand within the competition, who are the judges? Mm -hmm. What songs are they selecting to the winners or to the, um, you know, in high in the category of, of, of the winning songs that then say something? Those are the ones that are going to get the more airplay. Those are the ones that younger people are going to know and more people are going to be aware of. Is that what we want to encourage? It is a part of our society. So honing is a part of who... Uh, of Trinidad and Tobago, um, alcohol consumption and, uh, and to some extent uh, a heavy dependence on alcohol, you know. And so these are things that we are plaguing our society. Mm -hmm. And as a sociologist, just to take the music out of it, we then have to look to see how do we treat our music, our lyrics are saying something about who we are. And we shouldn't run away from it. We should understand, okay, why are people continuously writing these types of songs? Mm -hmm. Is it that they're only doing it to get the gigs that you said? Or is it that they are saying that this is a reality? People write about what is their reality. And so we then need to use the lyrics. This is the point that I am making to add the music onto the sociology, that we need to use these lyrics as we hear them and do something about them. So why not translate this whole issue that we're speaking into in a Ministry of Social Development, having some sort of a stakeholder forum, having some sort of you know, community initiative to deal with issues of domestic violence, alcohol dependence and consumption, the overuse of it, and, and, and treat with those types of issues because we can't just let the words of these Calypso bards just fall to the ground and say something like, 
that's not really representing us or why they're always singing about that. Mm. They are singing about it. They're writing the lyrics because it is part of our reality. And so that is the way in which I think we need to use the Calypso lyrics to make a change in society. You know, it's interesting that this discussion really is interesting about all of these various nuances because, as I said, this series has been running for a long period of time. We have a couple calls. Let's take those. But when I get back, I want to tell you about what Alison Hines and Anselm Douglas had to say about this very same thing. Okay. Hello, good morning. Uh, Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. To be brief, now let's have the air of somebody who is involved in Tuko or some kind of thing. I think Calypso had to recognize changing times. And two, they they have to understand that it has to become a business and self-sustained. Let me take um, Calypso Fiesta in Skinner Park. Is a is an event that is on the carnival calendar, and people will come more or less, regardless of what, but the crowd doing England. And they keep putting 40 Calypsonians singing the same kind of song. Instead of designing it to like a half, 20 singing um, soca song or, or, or party song and 20 singing thing, they have 40 people singing the same melody and over and over. And only because it's a... It, it, is a staple diet on carnival that people keep coming to sing. So either they put 20 Calypsonians to sing two songs, one party song and one thing, or or or, or whatever. But they had to put a party aspect it. I don't like soca per se, but they had to do something to make themselves marketable and viable instead of this nonsense they have every year with 40 people singing after the same same or same. Okay. Thanks so very much for that uh, um, comment, caller. So this year, so just to be clear, I used to be on the board of TUCO. I had the position of the editor. I recently demitted office. And I also want to mention as well that this year, TUCO's theme is reignite the Calypso magic. And so um, I'm really glad that the caller made that point about the type of Calypsos that he is hearing or he is accustomed to hearing from Calypso Fiesta. So perhaps... Going forward, as this year, 2023, Tuko's theme is reignite the Calypso magic, that there may be a shift in the type of offerings. Now, just to get a sense of how do people end up in Calypso Fiesta, we Mm. need to understand there are competitions that are taking place before. So, as I mentioned, the whole concept of the auditioning, all right, to be to sing and attend, that's how it really starts. Somebody says, listen, a song, whether I bought the song, whether I wrote the song, I want to be considered. To think about, um, uh, you know, visibility. You 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 audition. If you are successful, you are in the test. Then it comes the whole point of wanting to register with Tuku to be part of the competition. All right, and so that is where we see these forty uh, persons being presented. And then there's also the bullpen in terms of other auditions to persons who are unattached. So it becomes important for the, the nation to understand the process. But again, I want to get back to the whole issue of the judges. The judges are not only looking at lyrics, they're also looking at the music, and they're also looking at stage presentation. So if we're calling for a shift, and we're calling for a change in what is being presented to us, perhaps we should look to the whole issue of the judges. What I am aware of is that Tuko has in the past have had training for judges. And so this is where I think that an impact can be made 
if we want to see something different, I think that the general public should lobby mm. right into Tuco to say, listen, we like Calypso, it is ours, but we want to see a change. And it's, it's in that type of dialogue that we, we can move forward. Yeah, second yeah. Of, of the call. Hello, good morning. Good morning. Uh, Sinal again. Um, you know, it, it seems to me that people are trying to prop it up with taxpayers' money and demand that, uh, you know, people support and so on. Um, because if you don't support, it's going to die. But aren't there some tents where, uh, and this is where the, the, the true support will be shown, um, the, the, the tents, everybody's well paid, but the support is very low. Now, I mean, I would feel like a fool putting my money into something like that. And as a taxpayer, that is how I feel. That here we are thinking that this is something that must be preserved, you know, and, and we'll force it to evolve and make it better and so on. And, and while we are doing that, nobody's coming. Now, my children and, and, and the generation after them, they have been cut off from this whole thing because of the bad experiences of my generation. So they're not even considering coming back. So it's a set of old people, you know, that will be coming until they die out. And then nobody will be coming, but we'll be paying for the tents. What kind of craziness is that? Thank you. All right. And indeed, that is a good point. I had mentioned, I don't know if the caller was aware, but I had mentioned earlier that there has been a move to have the involvement of more young people in Calypso. In fact, indeed, this movement of young people from the junior Calypso competition to the senior Calypso competition for many, many, many years. And how do we see that being immortalized in the reality of today, where we see, uh, as I mentioned, Helon Francis, who um, is now um, a senator in, 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 in a, you know, uh, representing at the governmental level. Um, so look at where Calypso reached. And we have had um, Ronaldo London, um, who was also a youngster, as mentioned, he was 21 in time. And then we have our most recent monarch, who is Zadaya O'Connor. Um, in his 20s. So it becomes important to understand that there, there has been a movement to get younger audiences and to get younger people representing the art form. Mm. What, what do we do about the, the challenge of filling those seats? So that is a bigger decision that has to be made by people who run Calypso tents. Just as the caller said, it does not make a lot of economical sense to keep opening a tent and then you're not receiving the revenue to continue the tent. Yeah. So those are decisions that have to be made on an entrepreneurial level um, with those 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 owners. Yeah, um, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. This, it's, as I said, you know, we had this series running for a long period of time. We've spoken to so many people. And one of the, the discussions we had, I can't remember the gentleman's name. Um, he said that their tent was trying to think outside of the box as to how to get more people to come and he said that what they what they set up was something like a, a Calypso museum. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would have been open not just at night, but during the day. And he was mm-hmm. suggesting that a thought process like this needs to be injected into many of the other tents so that so that they don't just see it as a seasonal thing two weeks before Carnival, you set up your tent and after that you wait until Carnival next year again. And mm-hmm. that kind of the out-of-the-box thinking is what we need, what we need because cu- cultural tourism is a big thing. But in, in this country, even though we market ourselves as the home of Carnival and, and the home of everything else, the home closed for the rest of the year, except for Carnival, for a month for Carnival, you can't come here and get, yes, you might get a pan side because, you know, now pan sides have, 
have evolved into into ensembles that perform through the year and all of that kind of thing. But we've done a terrible job of helping all of these various art forms grow and in cementing our place as a cultural icon um, or, 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 or a destination, rather. A cultural destination that people can come throughout the year. I remember, and evidence of, of how poor we've done is, I remember in my television days, when I would be covering the, 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 the Carnival Monday and Tuesday, I came across a group of tourists um, just prior to Carnival. And the very first question that the gentleman asked is, where can he go to learn to dance soccer? Where can he go to learn to play the pan? And, and that question itself shows how unprepared we are because he was trying to get the experience that people get in Brazil. Because in Brazil, you could go across there, you go to the samba school, they have classes, they could teach you how to do the thing and all of that. We don't have that here. How much of that um, has factored into the decline in, 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 a, in appreciation for our, our culture on a, on, on a whole, not just Calypso? Okay. Well, I have the, the good fortune um, while at, at, on the board of Tuco to be a member of Trinidad and Tobago Carnival Museum. I'm not too sure if many of your listeners are aware that this has been recently established and launched. And so, if just to take back to what you just mentioned about this visitor, there is this museum that is um, where the Penny Bank used to be, um, Charlotte Street, Duke Street, I think is at that corner. Um, in Port of Spain, there's one branch, and it becomes important to think about that coming out of private sector, not being aligned necessarily to um, the government in terms of getting any subvention so that they really walk the walk and, and, and did the talking in terms of getting sponsors and, and, and you know, other funders, private sector funders to, to invest in this. So the Trinidad and Tobago Carnival Museum. And so what they do is from time to time, so far they've had a juve, exhibition then they've had a exhibition and so and and presently in the, the process of having this calypso exhibition so it becomes important to think about the strides that are being made right to make a shift so it means that people are listening satish and i think that that's the point that i really want to to, to end off with people are listening it might be slow it might be slower than we would like but people are listening and it becomes important then to speak to. I always believe in dialogue. And I think that if members of the general public have an issue, Trinidadians love to talk, but we must take the talk out of social media spaces or just, you know, just talking, old talking, and go and, and meet with sending your concerns to all of these individual um, organizations, whether it's Pantron Bagel, whether it's TTCBA, whether it's Tuco, and let them know, listen, I would like you to consider this particular suggestion that I have. We talk about taxpayers and, 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 and their rights. And I think that that is something that ought to be considered. Well, there's a lot more for us to consider. And uh, in, the, in the time that we spoke here this morning, we definitely have covered a lot of bases, that's for sure. But we, we, let's, let's begin where we began. Um, I'm sorry, let's end where we began. And that's, of course, talking about Calypso History Month. So mm -hmm. we dealt with past, present, future, and all of these things. What, what are some of the things you believe we should be doing for Calypso History Month to foster this, this resurgence, this reacceptance uh, in, in Calypso and, and in citizens uh, wanting to be a part of it and in the performers and artists making greater contributions? What are some of the things for Calypso History Month you think we should be doing? 
Right. And, you know, the interesting thing about the celebration of Calypso Instrument is it's admirable and important. Um, what I do know uh, of Tupo is that there are so many events that have aligned themselves to Calypso History Month that we've now moved beyond just a celebration of one month. So it really tends to be three months. Let's say um, September, October, November, in terms of the, 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 the breadth and depth of the events that are taking place. So we invite um, uh, members of the population to let Tuko know, and this is what would have been happening when I was there, um, and so we can add um, uh, events and activities to the calendar. But generally speaking, what should the population of Trinidad and Tobago be doing? Um, it is about understanding, take the opportunity to get a better uh, sense, knowledge, and know-how about the Calypso art form. Go to your various spaces, as I mentioned, the Trinidad and Tobago Carnival Museum, and you can go to Tuco and get information in terms of research that has been conducted. But one of the things that I think we should also consider is that Calypso doesn't really have a season. You just mentioned that it might be a month before that, you know, we start to get hot and sweaty. And we really ought to move away from that model. Calypso doesn't really have a season. This is a musical genre that exists all throughout the year. Mm -hmm. And what I have been doing in some of the work that I have been focusing on is um, going to the schools, going to spaces, public spaces like Nalis, and having Calypso lectures and having Calypso sessions, engagement with the population. So I go to the schools and I would speak to the young people um, about about Calypso, and it becomes important to do that. So I think that we need to widen and deepen our understanding of the Calypso art form, and I have been playing a part in that by getting to the general public in various spaces, in secondary schools, as well as in Nalis. We are at the end of our interview. Uh, yes. your, your various hats served us well this morning on our discussion <laughs> because you were able to bring to us perspectives. Uh, you're a one-stop shop, like a Uniped one. You, you were, we were able to get every single thing that we wanted from you, and it's been a most interesting discussion. You will have people who have their own positions, and regardless of what you say to them, you can't change it. That's on all sides. Uh, and un unfortunately, that's a reality we have to deal with. But uh, we do hope that from the discussions we have, people have a, a greater understanding of why things happen the way they happen. And uh, from some of what you've outlined to us, there are the opportunities for us to probably change the course moving forward. But yes. I want to thank you for being with us here mm -hmm. this morning and for giving us this well-rounded perspective on our culture, who we are as a people, what it says about us and some of the things we've done wrong, some of the things we did right, and some of the things we need to do moving forward. Um, Megan Sylvester, Megan Sylvester, thank you once again for being with us here thank this morning. Thank you very much for having me. And Most that, appreciated. That, of course, ladies and gentlemen, how we drop the curtains on this interview. Music sociologist, author, educator, researcher, journalist, Megan Sylvester. It has been a most interesting discussion. The best insight, instant feedback, accountability. The all-new Talk Radio, Freedom 106.5.